I'm really honored that whenever we get to go somewhere else and minister, I'm very watchful to not just regurgitate something that, you know, was just brought to me at a moment, but I really want to hear what God has to say. And with this being a fresh oil conference, I really heard the Lord ministered to me with uh, the Garden of Gethsemane. I really want to talk a little bit about that tonight, but I have to give a little bit of foundation to get there. But I, I've, if you only knew how much God loved you, all your problems would fade away. You know, I, I, if, if we invested all of, like the fact that he loves us as much as the Bible says, and we find, we should be investing all of our time discovering this love. In fact, this, the enemy's main goal is to get you to stop exploring, to get you to stop going on this adventure of just waking up and pursuing his love, finding out how much he loves us. Like that should be like in prayer and everything, like God, why? Like the fact that we just sit in church and expect that he loves us, just knowing, like, do you ever ask like, this is pretty ridiculous. Like, this is a little crazy, the way he loves me. Like, I should invest understanding this. But the problem is, is that understanding is, we'll find that in Ephesians about the spirit of wisdom and revelation, but, and even our eyes being open to understand from a spiritual perspective, but you won't understand. You can't understand. In fact, understanding is understanding is like the finish line of learning. So if you understand something, you no longer will explore it. If you understand something, you'll no longer go on the adventure because understanding creates a ceiling for intimacy. You, don't, you won't go past that because God doesn't desire to be understood. He desires to be known. It's, a, it's very different. Uh, I didn't marry my wife because I understand her. You know what I mean? I, I married because I love the joy of getting to know her. It's an adventure to know her. But understanding is very limited. But this is, the as we were worshiping tonight, I just kept hearing that there's, there's going to be joy in the crushing tonight. Joy in the pressing. That, that God, when God wants to crush and press, he wants to crush and press your will. Where the oil is produced is in the destroying of your will. That if we want to learn how to produce oil, oil is, is produced by surrendering the need to understand. So when you surrender the need to understand, you turn obedience into oil. Because obedient, there's a lot, I, I could tell my little girl, I could punish her and say, go to your room. If she runs to her room and slams the door, was that obedience? In a sense, she did it. But the, because the Bible says in Isaiah chapter one, it says the willing and the obedient shall eat the good of the land. Not just obedient. There's people that are obedient. There's people that'll raise their hands and sing and their, their hearts aren't in it at all that there's people that can express Christianity really well. In fact, because of YouTube and because of social media and because of these things, we're, we're creating a lot of actresses and actors in the body of Christ because they, they know the role, they know the part. But as we, we were talking about the storm, there's a lot of, 
There's a lot of churches that are focused on decoration instead of foundation. And when the storm comes, decorations, every decoration doesn't mean anything. It's about foundation. And Jesus is the only foundation that anything can be built upon. It is the only foundation, not a good sermon, not a good sermon series. If it's not him, you, I have nothing to say unless it first came from his lips. If it didn't come from his lips, there's no anointing on it. There can be theatrics, there can be emotionalism, but the anointing is the only thing that breaks the yokes of bondage. Jesus Christ, he is the anointed one. He's anointed to save. And if you would realize how much saving you still need, you would reach out to that anointing every time. I'm waking, and I'm being, I wanna be so transparent. I'm waking up every day realizing that I'm still deceived been following why, why am I still deceived because I don't know how much he loves me I still get short with certain people at some times I'm finding that my day-to-day -day encounters you know when the when the Israelites had to when the spies came back did you know when the spies came back they carried fruit it, they carried a cluster of grapes and it took how many people Two. I really believe that that's prophetic because the only way you know you have the fruits of the spirit is if you're with your neighbor because they had to carry the fruit. So there's no, you don't know if you have fruit in your life until you have to carry it with somebody. You can say you have all the, the, all the fruits of the spirit you want, but you don't know until you have to wait in a long Walmart line. You get cut off in traffic. That's where we see where your worship is at. That's where we see is the anointing breaking the yokes of bondage or are we just singing the greatest hits worship songs at that time, whatever it is. So. Do you have your Bibles with you? Does everybody love the word of God? You know, Jesus said that in the beginning, right here, we know that he is the word. And then in John 1, 14, it says that the word became flesh, dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And even in Revelation, it says that he is, his name is the word of God. I love this book so much and I'm realizing how much that when you, when you read Psalm 119, you just find out how much David loves the word. He just keeps talking about it over and over again, his love for the word. And when you realize that, as Joel was even saying, that these words are life, these words are life. And if you read it for just motivation, if you read it, you, uh, a phrase the Lord's been put in my heart lately is that the church is obsessed with breakthrough. And I think that's a problem. Because the church begins to idolize breakthrough. And that their relationship with God is dependent upon future answers to prayer. Instead of truly yielding to him in the moment. And I believe that God is raising up this, the bride, the remnant. I believe we're all here right now, and that's why we're, we're, we're right here. But once you love him more than the breakthrough, you can break through anything in this life. It's, it's that transition that needs to take place. And I'm learning this more and more. I, I'll tell you what, just a few years ago, I've, I've realized that just, I could even say one year, I'm, I, I want pride out of my life so much. I, I, I want to cry in every worship set because I want pride to leave me in my tears. I want to be vulnerable in a place because I, I realize just there's people in this room. If you knew me five years ago, I'm actually, I'm sorry. 
that we were friends. <laughs> you know, like, because you realize how self-centered you are. You realize how everything's about you. And when you're talking to people, you're just thinking about how you want to respond. You're thinking about this. And I just, I, I'm just at a place where I, I just, I'd rather be an unknown vessel to this world full of him than be a popular vessel full of the, the hollow praises of man. You know, I want to be just unknown, but filled with him. And if he, if he desires to use me, I, I just want to be at a place that I, I say what he wants to be said. And that's why I, when I look around the room, I don't ever want to look at people and, 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 and share based off the way I'm being corrected. I, want, I, I realize that you're the beloved. Like I, we have to speak to each other in tenderness, love one another, and, and truly encourage each other to go to the next level. But if you turn to Matthew 26, and I'll meet you there. <laughs> the Bible is the only book where the author doesn't sign your copy, but he signs your heart. You know, and it's, this is, it's so precious to be here in Galatians 4.19. I know I told you to go there. I'm going to uh, fire off a couple verses at you. This is one of my deep prayers. My wife and I have been praying, but in Galatians 4.19, Paul makes a statement that the church has been hoodwinked in Galatia and Asia Minor. They've been hoodwinked into believing a different gospel. And Paul makes a statement. He says, my dear children, from whom I again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, that, that he is praying that it actually says that it's like birth pangs, like he's giving delivery, that his prayers are praying that what? Christ would be formed in hearts. That the reality, that when Paul got knocked off that horse, he realized that I can't teach this. Like that's the, like, I can't teach this encounter. They have to have it. I have to pray that they fall off their horse in their heart. Like, I, they have to have a road to Damascus encounter. I have to pray that Christ would be formed in hearts. And that's why Paul would even pray in Ephesians that, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, the length, the depth, the height, to know the love of Christ which surpasses all knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Now to him who's able to do... You see... That one verse we take out of context all the time. I, I'm believing God for, a, a, for something. He's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that I ask or think. Actually, that verse is talking about the fullness of God manifesting in you, not all your material possessions coming. That's what it says. That's the prayer because it's the overflow that needs to take place. In, in Psalm 23, 5, when it says that uh, the anoint, he anoints our head with oil and our cup overflows, Overflow is the signature of intimacy. But why is that? Because we're called to overflow because you can't contain him. If you're not overflowing, you're God. Because you're supposed to be overflowing because you can't contain him. The Bible says he fills the heavens and the earth. That doesn't mean that he fits there. It's, it's kind of like if we filled a cup with the ocean. It's like the cup is filled with ocean water, but he can fit into it, but 
It's, it's, he is way bigger than that. So the overflow, is, it, it's so important that we realize that over, here's the thing about overflow too. Overflow gives glory to the source and humiliates the vessel. Overflow gives glory to the source and it humiliates the vessel. So if you're not, you see, we think of overflowing as like, oh, wow, look, my cup overflows when God is trying to say, you can't contain me. The overflow is meant for your brothers and sisters. You can't contain me. Because control, if people only pray when they're in a crisis, they don't love God, they love control. Because a crisis, when a crisis comes, they want to regain control. God, help me regain control. But he's trying to show you that I'm, I'm the God of the overflow. I'm the God even over the storm. I'm the God over all these things. And if you don't get your eyes on him, if you don't see, and this is the understanding thing once again, because so many people want to understand, but God wants us to, to behold and to be so pierced by his love, to be pierced to, a, like, to, to quantify logically the gospel is deception. Do you understand that? To, to, to quantify the gospel is deception. There's no way. We, I used to think when we sung, here I am to worship, like I'll never know how much it cost. Do you know why there's a reason we'll never know how much it cost? It's because it's going to take eternity to figure it out. <laughs> eternity is actually a gift for you to never understand. Because as soon as you understand, you stop pursuing. As soon as you think you get it, you get religious. You're not supposed to understand. You're supposed to be in love. Keep going. Keep pursuing. It's an adventure. It's a journey. It's a pursuit. What, like John, when you read about John, he knew Jesus so well. But in Revelation, when he hears, come up here, he sees Jesus in a way that makes him fall over like a dead man. I have a feeling there's not going to, God's going to have a lot of catchers in heaven. <laughs> We're just going to be falling out every day. It's like all the angels are like, again? It's like you created us to catch these people all eternity. Because we're just, this, this past week when we had service, you know, we, you just, you, you get a glimpse of him and you realize in Revelation 4 and 5, they get a glimpse of him and they all just begin to yell and celebrate. And they're just singing, holy, holy, holy. They're just singing the same songs over and over again. And then they look at them again and they do it all over again, over and over where we can just have a good service. Be like, man, it's just, what are you guys doing today? It's be, and and I'm, not, I'm not here to say that there's not this, this time that we're here on this, this earth, but there's a, a crushing that's taking place that is destroying our will. And our will, the biggest problem with our will is it needs to understand. And that's why God's at war with it, because our need to understand stops the mystery. It stops the pursuit. You following me? So... God is a greater giver than the enemy is a thief. Are you thankful for that? Yes. And no matter what he has stolen, he's, a, he's greater than even that. And we got to just be watchful. I, I get around so many people, and I say this in love, but 
There's so many people that are so in the church that are so afraid of the devil. They won't say it, but the way that they talk about him, the way that they're like, oh, you brushed against that person? Don't you know what, like, you would think that that's a joke, but there are people that are just so afraid of the enemy, the way that they talk, the way that they operate. And I'm telling you that when you're so in love with him, you know, Judas, he, he's walking with Jesus for all these years and he is the most deceived that, that people get afraid of witches and afraid of just different things. You, you understand who we serve. Do you understand that, that we, we, we even shared about this recently that when the Israelites are coming out of Egypt, that God actually used the hostility of Pharaoh to get their butts out of bondage. He, Pharaoh and the armies are chasing them in order to get them out. Like, but the hostility is chasing them, bringing them to a place of impossibility. So God wants the hostility of the enemy to, to pull them out of bondage, out of comfort and being there. The hostility is pushing them into the Red Sea where they have no way but to depend on him. But it says in Exodus uh, 14, it says that the angel of the Lord stood in front of them with a pillar and then stood behind them. So every time they look back at the hostility, God's saying, I'm right here. So when you look at your past, you have to look at me first. But I'm in front of you, so when you look at the Red Sea, you have to see me first because you're not looking through a way through the Red Sea. I am the way. It's prophetic Jesus being the way. So in Matthew 26, foundation is so important when you're reading scripture I really encourage everyone that please talk to him when you read please talk to him when you read I've made the mistake way too many times to devotionals and things like that are, are beautiful but I think that they've kind of made the Bible a snack pack in a sense that like people are looking for a quick encouragement or quick motivation but I share this story a lot recently, but I'll never, my wife and I, we went, uh, it was when Brave was born and we were, I had to get something done at a bank, but you can't do it through the drive-thru, you have to go inside. So we go in, I was like, well, let me see how long it'll take. Does everybody know that? Like, I'm not, I'm not gonna invest all my time because I gotta get my toddler out of the car, I gotta get my newborn out of the car. That, I have to really love you to do that. Like, I, I, I just wanna stay here, like, and I walked in and I said, hey, how long is it going to take if I got to do this? Bada bing, bada. He's like, 10 minutes. I'm like, honey, let's get the kids out of the car. It's only going to take 10 minutes. So I get inside and then the guy about seven minutes in. Oh, no. Oh, what do you mean? Oh, no. He's like, I didn't see that. We're going to have to get this adjusted two hours later. My little girl, we had to give her so many pieces of paper. She drew pictures for the guy for two hours. My infant, we're like just trying to give him whatever, like Jackie's still uh, breastfeeding. She had to go in and out of the, so it was like, it was just, a, it was very uncomfortable. But the Lord like really dealt with me about this situation because God will speak to you in inconvenience if you'll listen. And he said, 
Son, there's so many times that you only pray when you have 10 minutes, but I want more. Because you're not aware of all the things that need to get fixed. You don't know. I know. And you need to give me that time. I love in Ezekiel 37 when, when he, he's called to prophesy over the dry bones. God says, do you believe this can happen? And you know what he says? Only you know. But there's so many Christians that, oh, I know this. I know this. We got to know this because we were faith people. We got to know. <laughs> uh, there's a difference between confidence in him and confidence in your intellect. Confidence even in your faith. There's people that have confidence in their faith. It's his faith. We have confidence in him. Our faith is in him. It's all measurement from him. And we just got to be watchful because the enemy is a deceiver. And what his goal is, is he knows that the Bible says he knows the word better than we do. Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things will be added unto you. So what is his main job to make God second? Not to make him last to a Christian because he knows that would be too obvious. Make him second. So make the blessing first. Make, make anything in the Bible that's just something about God that isn't him first. Start a whole denomination, start a whole group, a whole fan club around things. And it's been really ministering to me when I read Revelation lately because Revelation shares when the angel of the Lord was writing the letters, he's, he's not writing them to individuals. He's writing them to churches, regions. So, so all of a sudden we have to realize that there are churches that are so like, oh, this is my people, my, 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 not realizing that, that we're, we're gonna have to give an account for the region. That's why I'm thankful Pastor Gio with, to gather, bringing people, being an answer to John 17, bringing people together, because we have to give an account for unity because that's his heartbeat that was his most intimate prayer it says the world will know that you that that you sent me by their oneness that's crazy not by the signs wonders and miracles the antichrist can use signs wonders and miracles that's that's and that's a whole nother thing there's churches that are obsessed with signs wonders and miracles. i'm thankful for signs wonders and miracles but he is he is the miracle he is the one that our eyes are fixed upon because you can so quickly just say a revival is a bunch of signs wonders and miracles revival is repentance revival is saying we don't know only he knows and we come to the altar and we weep real tears real heart water real liquid revelation and it's, it's that word that pierces. You know, when Peter got up and preached the first sermon, he didn't preach the New Testament. He preached the Old Testament because they didn't have a New Testament yet. There's, we got to know the whole word of God. The Old Testament is all sharing about Jesus. But Peter's message was not, hey, this is going to be really great. It says that his message pierced their hearts and they all said, what must we do to be saved? Peter said, you killed him. It wasn't, it wasn't a very seeker-friendly message. But the problem with even seeker-friendly is they forgot who the seeker is. 
He came to seek and save that which was lost. Amen. I know I have a hard time getting to the passage, but it's just Isaiah 55 as well. Just understanding how we understand it's the fact that God says that just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my thoughts higher than yours. And just think about that for a moment. Do you know how many miles it is to get to the moon? That's not even the heaven. Like that's a heaven, but not his heaven. Not what, this is the fact that it's that much higher, yet we think we can understand. Yet we think we have the best analysis of our situation. We think that we can counsel God on what the best way would be to fix our situation. It has to be this, Lord. I heard this sermon. I heard this thing. His ways are higher. And until you yield to that, you're going to be frustrated because the, the, the biggest, in all marriages, and all relationships, the biggest key to misfunction is communication and expectation. Because one of the most dangerous things you can do is expect from others what you can only get from God. And there are people that have expectations of God that aren't even from the word of God. Because they heard false motives. They heard Ill, Ill intention from the enemy, ways that we are prescribed to hear things. And the word of God, the authority of God, is not to manipulate your own will, it's to manifest his. And there's a lot of people that use the word of God to manipulate their, their situations and they end up rebuking their refinement. God, when Peter was about to deny Jesus, Jesus said, Peter, Satan has asked to sift you like we. I have prayed that your faith would not fail you. He didn't say, I prayed that the enemy wouldn't touch you. Sounds a very similar conversation about Job, right? That Jesus is more concerned about faith than anything else. Do you still believe? And we have to... We have to properly define faith. Faith is that when, when God, when the shield of faith, we find as well that when Abraham met God in Genesis, or not when he met God, but when he comes back to him in Genesis 15, he says that I am your, I am your shield and your exceedingly great reward. So he's, God's saying, I'm a shield for you. And we hear about the shield of faith, which would mean that faith is who you believe God is, period. And who you believe God is will protect your righteousness because your, right, your plate of righteousness is right behind your faith. So as soon as you don't believe who God is anymore or you're, you're, you're shaken in your faith, then your righteousness, your standing with God becomes vulnerable. And what's behind that? Your heart. So the enemy's trying to break your faith down so he can expose your position with God, not being on shaky ground so he can get to your heart. So... The prayer is that our faith would not fail us. So Matthew 26, <laughs> verse 36, it says, Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, Sit here while I go and pray over there. Now before we read the whole passage, Gethsemane means oil press. And it's very significant that we're in a garden, right? It's the garden. 
Where did it all start? God placed man, the first Adam, in a garden called Eden, which was paradise. A garden of paradise. And here is the son of God going to the garden of pressing, going to a garden to be pressed. It says in Isaiah 53, it says that it pleased the father to bruise him. That's, that's crazy. It pleased the father to bruise him. When you read in Leviticus, when it's talking about the, the tabernacle, one of the things that the priests were called to do, they were called to constantly press olives and make more oil so there would constantly be lamps burning. It was a responsibility that there was constant pressing so that there would be light. What does Psalm 119, 105 says? It says that your word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. That there's this word getting, it's producing something, it's producing light. But the more we get this word in us, it's, it's actually pressing out everything we've ever learned. It's, I, I once heard a man of God say that it's the hardest thing about renewing your mind isn't learning God's will, but unlearning your own. And that is so true because it's so easy to add things, but it, it's, there's a lot of people who want to add Christianity to their lives, but they don't want to subtract themselves for Christ. It's like, be, you know, subtract, just total annihilation of what I've thought, what I, everything up to this point, I've been trained by the enemy. This world is seeped in deception. The whole, the whole culture. Like, I actually don't know why people get mad at Disney. What do you, you expect Disney to produce holy product for your family? Like, what is your problem? Are you, like, you, do you not have other things to do than to get mad at Disney? Why do you expect Disney to put wholesome product out for your family to learn? It's the enemy getting you off of the prize. It's the enemy getting you on another avenue that you don't need to be on. We need to focus on him. He is the beautiful one. So we find that in Leviticus, understanding that. And then we find in Matthew 25 about the parable with the, the foolish and the wise virgins, the, the bridesmaids that are coming to meet the bridegroom. And it's just a very simple parable. But one of the things that's a distinction is five are wise and five are foolish. And the distinction is very easy to see is that the five that were wise had oil and the five that were fools did not have oil. How many married women are in the room? Are you, so the, you see, we got some. So when, when you're preparing for a wedding day, when you prepare for a wedding day, or you are preparing for a wedding, we got Brie up here. When you're preparing for a wedding, what is a bride a bride obsesses about every detail of that wedding. They know things that nobody else would even think of the day of. Like backup plans. Like a bride is so focused on preparing for that day. Every detail. Everything is figured out. That they're bridezillas. You know what I'm saying? It's like there's everything. Nobody's like that in here. But you know what I'm saying? It's just... But we need to be a bridezilla to the enemy, right? That's what I'm saying. So it's like... But the fact, they know every detail, they know every little thing that's going on for that, 
because they're preparing. And if we don't embrace our role as the bride, we won't prepare right. And we have to prepare as a bride. And if the parable is saying in Matthew 25, right before he gets to the Garden of Gethsemane, that you need to make sure you have oil to be wise. If we're going to learn how to get oil, who better to learn from than the master himself? Right? He doesn't ask us to create oil and doesn't show us how to get it first. And that's when we get to the Garden of Gethsemane, which I believe a lot of people, and please hear my heart on this, and we put our eyes on the cross. The cross needs to be exemplified. We know what the cross is, but I think a lot of people skip over what took place in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's the first place in scripture we find him bleeding. The first time the royal blood of heaven is touching soil in a garden. And you have to think about this. He is a holy, pure God, never once sinned. And he's in this garden and we think that he is, some people, I think that it's wrong to think this personally, but I, I believe it's an element. A lot of people think he's in that garden and he is beginning to sweat blood because of the pain he's about to go through in the natural. No, he's beginning to finally feel the stench of sin. He's a holy God. He's never sinned. He's never gotten close to it. He's never wanted, and he, he loves us so much that he's coming to this place where he's going to, he's going to use his faith to take on not just one person's sin. You see, he's never been exposed to it before, and he is about to take on every generation's sin in the garden of Gethsemane. Because the only way the cross is a fulfillment is if he's already taken it on. So in the garden of Gethsemane is where he is, he's getting the sin, he's, he's starting to experience it and it's actually causing him to pray prayers if there's any other way. Not if there's another way besides the cross. Do I have to take this sin on? This has never been okay. This is not what heaven is about. This is not, I've never experienced this. This is why he hates sin so much. Because he knows what it does to you. He knows that it corrupts the mind of man. It corrupts that even the slightest lie. Even the slightest little things. It, it, it's impossible for him to lie. Because it ruins all the foundation. Because he's true. He's holy. And when we were speaking of revelation before, what is one of the, what is one of the penalties if the churches don't get things together? It says their lampstand will be removed. And the only way those lampstands burn is if there's oil. There has to be oil. So we get to the Garden of Gethsemane, this oil pressing. 
And he's sweating blood. What was Jesus' first miracle? Can anybody remind me? The water into wine. What's beautiful about that story as well is when we're talking about when the disciples were asked to fill the six water pot, the ceremonial water pots up with water, they fill them up and Jesus is performing a miracle. It makes no sense. Because they're surrendering their need to understand and they're just obeying, wine was produced. And the only way wine can be produced is if there's crushing. So when you surrender your need to understand and you just obey, there's a supernatural crushing that takes place. There's a supernatural, and right here, that his first miracle is turning water into wine, but now in the garden, he's turning, he's turning sweat into blood. That he's surrendering his need as a man to understand why he has to become sick that this is a love that the father's will is that he's obeying what the father says but just the, the humanity of God is the embodiment of the compassion of God him taking on human flesh is the embodiment of his compassion he came as us that's crazy so it says that Jesus is teaching us he's going to the oil press which is the Garden of Gethsemane, he said to the disciples, sit here while I go pray over there. So where do we go get oil? In prayer. It's in prayer. This is where, this is why prayer is so precious. And I'm, I'm learning that the fewer words I say, the more effective prayer is. And it's because God's smarter than us. And it's really good to just bask in his glory because he even created the silence that can even counsel you he can counsel us in so many ways his presence is a counsel of peace and joy it's so much sit here while i go and pray over there and he took with him peter and the two sons of zebedee and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed See, he's, he's beginning to feel the pangs of sin. And it's really important, I think a lot of us know this, but just a, a reminder, you don't have to tell everybody about everything you're going through. In fact, it's, it's, a, it's a huge sign of insecurity the more you have to tell people. What you wanna do is Jesus in one of his most important moments has only taken three people with him. And these three people have seen him transfigured on the mount. So you only take people with you that, have, that know you, that have really seen you. He took those three boys in with him to raise Jairus' daughter too. He kicked all the family out of the house. He says, I gotta show these boys how to do this thing. Then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. So what connects us to death, it's actually our soul, our mind, will, and emotion, that our souls can get to such a place. This is why we have to always differentiate between spirit and soul, that our spirits are regenerated in Christ. Our spirits are brand new. That's, that's what's being harmonizing with the spirit of God, but our soul is in constant sanctification, constant needs to be renewed daily. 
And it says, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Stay here and watch with me. Now this next verse has so many details that you could just apply to your life. This is like the verse of this whole passage right here. He went a little farther. Everyone say a little farther. This is what I was sharing before. In prayer, there's always a little farther. There's always a little farther. And in fact, there there's so many people that, and I, once again, I always want to make sure I'm out of posture of love. I talk with a lot of people and problems and so much emotional, just chaos in people's lives. And I'm really convinced if people would just sit before God for a good hour and not just try to go up to somebody and say, give me some advice because advice is keeping you out of the secret place. It's that when we, when we go a little farther that we say, you know, there's times in my life that I'm going through really some really tough things over the past couple years. And I have a few mentors in my life that I like to call up and sometimes I call them and they're all saying the same thing. And I'm just like, well, I even thought that like, this isn't good advice. And I'll just hear the Lord say, Hey, I'm here. You're going through this because I'm exposing impurities. I'm exposing impurities because that's, that's the only thing about, that's the other thing about pressing. Even when you're pressing it, it, it gets all the impurities out. So that way the oil produces quicker. You got to get the impurities out. So it burns better. So it, it, it creates something, but everyone say a little farther. And then the next thing it says that he fell on his face. This is, this is so big that the prostrate heart, the, the, the posture of heart, the position is very important as well. So you have going a little farther, but not just going a little farther, but actually maybe getting in a position that you've never been in before. Maybe, maybe some of you, there might be people in the room that you've never danced before the Lord before. Did you know that the Bible says to dance before the Lord? The Bible says to shout. But you see, all those things, they seem unprofitable to the flesh. But what seems most unprofitable, unprofitable to the flesh is usually most profitable to the spirit. And sometimes you just need to shout. Sometimes you need to dance. Sometimes you got to get on your face. Sometimes you just have to stay there to remind yourself that I'm only breathing because he's giving me breath right now. Like you need to humble yourself a little bit and realize because your problems becoming an idol, your, your situations becoming an idol. So the reason that Jesus in the garden gets 70 people are like, he, he prays the same thing three times. It's because he's, he's staying in, he's staying in the, in the struggle to make sure that he's reminding himself who he's talking to, that he is still in control, that he's still there, that the prayer is the life support. It's the conversation that stabilizes everything. So he went a little farther. He went a little farther, he fell on his face. The other thing is, is that you'll notice that he did leave the others behind. So he went a little farther. Everyone say a little farther. He fell on his face, say fell on his face, but he went by himself. Now this is really important because a lot of times when we're going through something really difficult, 
we get really offended when everybody around us doesn't understand. We get offended when people don't see our situation the way we do. But in order for Jesus to get true deliverance in this, in order for Jesus to produce the oil, he had to go by himself. He had to go by himself. And then he prays, oh my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus said earlier in his ministry, he says, I only say what the father tells me to say. He said, I was sent here to do only his will. And now he's at this place where he's asking God as father. Do you understand that Jesus talking to the father, he's the son, he is the son. If my son asked me if there was any other way, do you know how that would move my heart? Sometimes we forget about God in this situation. We're looking at Jesus, but we don't understand how God's heart's being moved in Gethsemane. My child is asking, is there any other way? Is there any other way? And to hear his son finish the statement instead of him having to say it. That's what true prayer is. Prayer is saying, I feel forsaken, but you said you would never leave me or forsake me. I feel unloved, but you said nothing can separate me from your love. I feel this way, but your word says otherwise. This is why you don't ever hear God respond in the garden of Gethsemane, because Jesus, as he was praying, He's strengthening himself in the Lord. That he's been trained for this moment to know what to say because the Father can't do anything. The Father is at a place that he has to let his son take on all the sin. And you keep going, it says, then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. Remember we said that nothing could be more offensive he took his best friends with him. They've seen all it. He comes back and they're sleeping. Why are they sleeping? Because they don't see what he sees. And this is why a lot of us can't pray. This is why a lot of us don't show up to prayer meetings. It's because we don't see what God sees. Because if we saw what God sees, we would, we would get in there. We would know that if we just read this Bible for an hour and everybody got on their face, that would be, that would be so prosperous to the body of Christ. I, I've been so thankful that we as, a, we as a body in Pinellas County, I didn't even say we're from Gold Street Garden and stuff, but we're, that's up in Pinellas County. We, one of the things that we've been doing as a body is we've just been reading passages of scripture when we come together for corporate prayer and we just ask God to pull us into that reality. Like instead of praying like, God, we need this, we need this, we don't even care about that because we know that he'll, he'll take care of that because he's leading. If he's leading, I don't need to pry things over. Amen. That'll just distract me. If, if, I, if, I, if he's truly leading, I just want 
hit the reality of him to lead me. And if, if I can get the revelation that Paul had in Ephesians and we just read those prayers and say, God, we pull this reality in because we're, we're screwed if we, don't, if, if we don't get this. Like if we don't get this, we'll go back to a real, we'll go back to bondage. We'll go back to just lame church services and we'll have to rely on that one song. And hopefully they sing that song again so we can feel a little spark. No, we need to have this that we understand that they're sleeping because they can't, they don't see. And that's why it says awaken to righteousness in Corinthians, that the prayer of the righteous avails much. Did you ever read, I, I know, I don't want to get too far off, but that's just been amazing me lately. When you read James 5, it says that the prayer of a righteous man, the, the fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And then it says, just like Elijah was a man and prayed that it would not rain for three years. Just think about that, how we've put this in context, that if you pray really fervently, you'll get whatever you want. When, just like Elijah, do you think Elijah's heart desire was a three-year drought? Do you think that he, do you think that he was praying for a three, like, God, you know what I want more than anything in life? Like this would just shake the world. Like this would be best thing ever. I just really want a three-year drought. I'll give you your heart's desire, Elijah. No. And if you read the prayer that he prayed, it's one scripture. Because it's not the length of a prayer, it's the depth of a prayer. And, and not only that, his fervent prayer wasn't from his, he just declared the word of the Lord. The righteous prayer is declaring the word of the Lord. That's what prayer is supposed to be, is talking God's word back to him. Not, not coming up with your own American desires and just throwing them up and Christmas lists and things like this. There is something way higher than that. And I, I'm sharing from, from experience that once this gets exposed, how selfish your prayer life is. That when you get to heaven, that your greatest prayer that came to pass was a new car. Burnt up. Burnt up. Nothing. Because he's trying to produce gold. And the only way he can produce gold is if things get crazy. It says in 1 Peter... Peter knew crazy. He saw crazy. He saw Jesus tell him he's going he's gonna to deny him. And he said, no, no, it never happened. And it, it happened exactly the way he said it. He said that this world is going to hate you. You better believe Peter started listening up. What this guy says comes to pass. Even if I try with all of my will to make sure it doesn't happen. He even knew the prophecy and still couldn't stop it. That should liberate you because a lot of people's prayer life is trying to call something forth instead of become what he desires. When we desire him to come the way that we want, we limit what he can do. But when we simply desire him to come, there's no limit to what he can do. It's when we try to put a limit and we say, God, I need you to do it this way. Well, actually, you're probably missing so much. You're deceived and blind because your problem is, is overtaking your gaze. 
So, there's still more scripture here. But do you see how reading the Bible should be? It should, when you read the Bible, it should take you all through the Bible. You know what I'm saying? Like you don't need more stories, you just need to get in here. And just, this is Jesus, everywhere. I wish I was on the road to Emmaus. Could you imagine getting a Bible, like getting schooled by Jesus? I heard Alan Hood say this recently and it touched my heart so much is when he said that the reason that on the road to Emmaus that he doesn't reveal himself but he just speaks of the scriptures because he doesn't want people's hearts to burn because of an experience but just from reading the Bible. He wanted their hearts to burn from a Bible study so they wouldn't have to rely on some big theatrical experience. That if your heart doesn't burn when you read the Bible, you just have to ask who's conducting it? Who's, who, are you, who are you with? And it says, verse 40, found him sleeping, said to Peter, what? Could you not watch with me for one hour? Watch and pray. Some of us, you know, we got, you know, one hour seems like, have, is, am I the only one that sometimes you pray for five minutes and you thought you went through everything? You're like, thank God for tongues, right? Like praying in the Holy Ghost. Because sometimes, sometimes I'll just be praying. And if you need to practice, uh, you know, speaking in tongues, just read the genealogies in Genesis and so forth. That'll help you. That'll help you. You know, if you're trying to get better with uh, your heavenly language, you know, you just... Uh, Read the genealogies and pray lest you enter into temptation. It's very important that you see the prefix of temptation is temp. What's another word that starts with temp? Temporal, temporary. That the, the enemy's temptation is to pull you out of the eternal into this has to happen now. This is what's going on. God doesn't even operate in that magnitude. He's above all of the linear. He's above all of this. So the enemy's goal is to pull you into the temporal because he knows you'll make a, you'll abuse the eternal, the eternal perspective in that. So this is the statement though. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. So the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So this is the key that we have to tap into that the spirit is where the victory is. In this moment, if we want oil to be produced, it's going to be in the crucifying of the flesh. That waiting on the Lord is declaring war on the flesh because nobody likes to wait. Your flesh hates waiting. That's why it's the pinnacle of the fruit of the spirit because what is the first thing love is in 1 Corinthians 13? Love is patient, long-suffering, if it's King James. We, we like nice words like patience, but long-suffering is the, the category, it's the word, and it's this, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And in Galatians 5, it even tells us that the spirit wars against the flesh. So if we want oil to be produced, it's once again, it's surrendering our need to understand. It's surrendering what we want in the moment. 
and it's going after exactly what he desires. And as you keep reading, again a second time. So he's going back again. We've already covered this, but he went away, prayed, saying, Oh, my father, this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it. Your will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. So he left them, went away again, and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Then he came to his disciples and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand and the son of man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going, see my betrayers at hand. Right after this crushing, sweating blood, all this, you would think there has to be a, a victory right after this. This oil crushing, this, this moment of just intensity of prayer positioned him to know that now the enemy is coming to put me right on the cross and that Judas, he was going to have to feel the kiss of his friend right after this moment, after blood has just dripped down his face, that Judas is going to taste the blood as he kisses Jesus' cheek. And it's because the enemy has to taste that victory. But when he kisses those kisses a cheek, it's the fact that that's what sin is. Is that if you don't get that war with sin, with, with flesh, that you'll be praying and sin will come and kiss you on the, the cheek. And what you haven't surrendered is going to take you. It's going to take you out. And this is why you have to get everything out. The oil has to be pressed. So that way, whatever the enemy uses for evil, God can turn it into good. And that's exactly the story of the cross. And that's why the enemy never saw it coming. Because humility is a blind spot to the enemy. He never sees humility coming. Before we open the altars for the pressing, and the oil worship team, you can come. It's so good having a mercy with us. Love you all so much. In James chapter five, verse 13, it's such a simple verse, but it says, if anyone among you is suffering, let him pray. If anyone is suffering, let him pray. When people are suffering, they do so many other things. Prayer is usually a last resort. But why are we told to pray if we're suffering? Because he's the suffering servant. And in Hebrews chapter 4, 15 through 16, it says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but he was tempted at all points without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace to obtain mercy and find grace in a time of need. That he suffered and went through all that. There is not a temptation and there is not a struggle that you have faced that he has not faced first and conquered. That when you talk to God, he knows exactly what you're going through because he experienced it all. He took it on so that way when you pray, he could give you the alleviation you need in a friendship that you're never talking to somebody that doesn't know what you're going through and more. Not only does he know what you're going through, he knows things that you haven't even considered about the pain. 
that the pain is exposing things, that it's pulling things up. He knows every little bit of it. And there's something that can beautiful that can be produced from this. And the reward that we, there's two words that you have to abide by, consistency and intimacy. You have to be consistent and intimate at all times. And the, the word says in John 8, 31 through 32, it says, abide in my word. Those who abide in my word are my disciples indeed. They shall know the truth and the truth shall set them free. So the word abide means to remain. It means to stay, to be engaged, to be there. And he's divine. But when you think about, it says that those who abide in my word are my disciples indeed. They shall know the truth and what? The truth shall set them free. That means freedom is the reward of consistency with Jesus. Freedom is not a one and done. There's so many people that are deceived with feelings. Freedom isn't when you stop feeling a certain way. Freedom is when you stop believing how you feel. That you believe truth. That you surrender to truth. And you go with him where he goes. And I know that there's a lot of believers here tonight coming, but I just want to make sure you all know that when we're talking about these things, that sometimes messages like this, and when you really go at context, I always believe that the crown, that the crown of context, it reveals the king of the scriptures. That the crown of context, that you need to read it in context to really get the heartbeat. It brings the freedom. And when selfishness gets exposed, there's supposed to be a godly sorrow. There's supposed to be the, the, the preaching of the word. When Paul was telling Timothy in his letters, he says, preach the word in season and out of season, rebuke. It's not just nice things. Sometimes we need to be so, we need to be pierced. We need to realize that, oh wow, I have been selfish. I have my, I, it has been so much about me. And I need to, I need to surrender to his will tonight. I need to get in. There's a quote by A.W. Tozer that always rocks me to my core. And he says, people on earth hate to hear the word repent, but people in hell wish they could hear it one more time. I'm telling you that you don't wanna ever fall for, I'm just in a room with believers. We're not all gonna stand with you when you have to stand before him alone. And that there has to be oil because the five foolish brides did not make it through the doors because they were not prepared. Because you can't get my oil, you have to get your own. You can't get Pastor Joel's oil, you can't get, you have to get your own oil. And that comes through the crushing of your will so that you embrace his. The secret place is where the beauty of his will erases your need for an, your own. Once you see his will, you're like, why was, why was I even praying that way? I was making it so hard on myself. So could we just take a moment if we close our eyes? Isn't it so beautiful that God gave us the ability to close our eyes? He gave us the ability to close our eyes so we could enter the secret place at any moment. That we could shut off the things that we see begin to realize he even gave us imaginations and 
dreams so that he could take us beyond this natural realm and show us beautiful things. Thank you. The truth is tonight we have nothing, we have nothing to offer him. Yet, he desires and longs for every part of our nothing. He wants your emptiness. Stop trying to figure it out. Let the crushing, let the joy of crushing begin. Just under your breath right now, just begin to ask the Lord as the psalmist did, search my heart, O God. Say it out loud, search my heart, O God. Reveal any wicked way in me. Just let him minister to you right now. Let him expose. No more excuses. 